I hope you're at John chapter 15. But before we read, <coughs> here's something I was reading in the week. So from a, an article. It says this. Life is your most important possession. Don't take it for granted. Right now, each one of us is either wasting our lives, spending our lives, or investing our lives. You must answer the questions, what am I, who am I, and why am I here, correctly, if your life is to have any meaning for you. The person who calls a spanner a screwdriver and then tries to use it as a screwdriver is heading for frustration and failure. Likewise, the person who does not know who and what he or she is and why will experience the same kinds of frustration and failure. It is this identity crisis that has threatened and even destroyed many people in society today. Who am I? What am I? And why am I here? This writer says, are the questions that we need to answer correctly if we're to make the most of the most important and most precious possession that we have, our lives. Now, fortunately, as Christians, we don't have to guess at those questions. We've been given those answers. We don't need to have an identity crisis. Jesus has told us who we are and why we're here. And actually, in John 15, we find one of the most vivid and profound and powerful illustrations of who we are and why we're here. As Jesus describes himself as a vine and Christians as branches, and he tells us the why we're here, and that's to bear much fruit. And so this morning, if we can understand this image of the vine and the branches and bearing fruit, it's going to put us on our way to making our lives meaningful. So we're going to read John 15 together, and then we're going to jump in. So I'm going to read 1 to the end of verse 11. <clears throat> These are the words of Jesus, and he says this. I am the vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch of mine that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does, that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, for as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. 
If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. We're spending, a. this is the last of three weeks, going through this passage together, considering what it means to be a branch in the vine. And the first question that we uh, we need to understand or we need to tackle is, how does one become a branch? And obviously, we, as we've studied this, we've begun to see that we become a branch by turning from sin and trusting in Jesus Christ as the, as the vine, as our Lord and Savior. And when we turn from our sins and put our trust in Christ, we are grafted into the vine. We're joined to the vine and his life begins to run through us. We become branches as we enter by faith into this life, this, this living relationship with Jesus. It's not that we just join a new religious group. It's not that we just get a bunch of new friends. It's that we get connected to the living vine. And once connected, the promises will bear fruit. And the warning is, if you're not bearing fruit, check the connection. You see, we can manufacture religious substitutes that kind of look like fruit, but they're not. And over time, they will wither away and it will be shown that we're not connected. But if we're united to Jesus and we abide in him, we will bear fruit as his life, the very sap of his, of his life flows into us and through us and we bear fruit for God's glory. Now, We've also tackled the question, well, then how do we abide? If we need to abide in Christ, how do we do that? Last week, we looked at verse 7, where Jesus says that while uh, we abide in him as his word abides in us, as we read the words of Scripture, as we feed on them, as we sing them, and as we speak them to one another and back to God in prayer, his word abides in us. And as his word abides in us, we bear more fruit. But Jesus has got a second way in which we abide, and that's in verse 9, where Jesus says this, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So that's the, the kind of the second concrete reality, the second way in which we abide in Jesus. Last week it was abide in my word and have my word abide in you. This week it's abide in my love. Uh, verse 9, look with me again because uh, Charles Spurgeon once said this about this verse. He said, oh, drink down this nectar, for here is the choicest pearl dissolved into a single verse to be a delicious draft for God's people to drink deeply. So he thought this was a great verse, one of the most important in scriptures, the choicest of pearls in a single verse to be drunk by God's people deeply. So let's look at it again, because this is going to make all the difference in, in our abiding. He says this. This is what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now, hopefully, the first question that comes into your mind is this. Well, how has the Father loved Jesus? Well, let's look at that for a few moments. How has the Father loved Jesus? Because that tells us how Jesus 
has loved us. So does God love Jesus as intensely as your best friend loves you? Maybe. Does God love Jesus as the best parent loves their child? Probably. Does Jesus love uh, does God love Jesus as deeply as husband and wife who've been married for 50 years love one another? Maybe. But all of these examples of love that we understand are really, they're a tiny candle in comparison to the sun of God's love for Christ. Think about what Jesus says. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He's not even prepared to kind of give earthly examples uh, of love because they pale into insignificance next to the Father's love for Christ. He doesn't want us to think too lowly of the Father's love for Christ. So he goes and he says, if you want to know what my love for you is like, look at the Father's love. How has the Father loved me? Well, Matthew 17 verses 2 and 5. Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto a high mountain, and when they are alone, something utterly astonishing happens, doesn't it? This is what Matthew chapter 17, verse 2 says. His face, Jesus' face, shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light as he experiences this appearance of glory in the transfiguration. And then in verse 5, it says, bright clouds overshadowed them, and then God the Father speaks from heaven. He says this, doesn't he? This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. So in that moment on the mountain, God reveals his heart for his son and says two things. I love my son and I delight in him. He's he's the one who brings me great pleasure. He also says the same thing about Jesus at his baptism. When the Holy Spirit comes down in the form of a dove and anoints Jesus for ministry, signifying the Father's love and support of the Son in what he's about to undertake. But think about then what John himself, the author of John 15, writes earlier in his book. In John chapter 1, verse 18, John says this about Jesus. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side, but the one who is at the Father's side has made him known. So no one has ever seen God, but the one who is at the Father's side, literally that would be better translated, the one who is hidden in the bosom of the Father. Such is the closeness and the love that they share. The one who is hidden in the bosom of the Father has made him known to us. Or John 3, 35, where Jesus says the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hands. A sign of the generosity and the trust and the love that the Father has for the Son that he can say, I'm going to give you everything. John 5 verse 20, Jesus again says this, the Father loves the Son and he shows him all that he himself is doing. So the Father and the Son have such an intimate, loving, personal, close relationship that they share everything. Then in John 17, verse 24, Jesus speaks of how God has loved him even before the creation of the world. 
before God ever created anything, before Jesus ever came to this earth, before anything else was and is, the Father was loving the Son in the Holy Spirit. So when you kind of piece some of these things together, and that's not an exhaustive list of the descriptions in Scripture of the Father's love for the Son, but just some that I picked out. When you add it all up, you get this answer. How does, the son, how does God love the Son? Well, He loves Him without beginning. It's an eternal love. He loves Him without measure. It's generous and bountiful and abundant. God is not stingy towards the Son. He gives Him all things. He shares with Him all things. He shows Him at all things. It's without variation or change because God does not change. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his love for the Son is steadfast and relentless and constant and consistent. It's a love without end. It's, it's not only without beginning in that it's eternal, but it's without end. It's everlasting. It goes on and on and on. And it's a love of pure delight and pleasure and respect. It's personal There's a unity to it. There's a harmony in it. There's a closeness. He's in the Father's bosom. There's an intimacy. It's all encompassing. So God pours out all that he has on his Son. There is nothing that the Father has that the Son lacks. When God looks at his Son, he enjoys him. He admires him. He Cherishes him, he prizes him, he loves him, he relishes what he sees. He loves him with a never stopping, never giving up, always and forever, unbreakable, irrevocable, eternal love. It's that old song that we used to sing as kids, you know, he's loved us, it's so high, you can't get over it, so low, you can't get under it, so wide, you can't get round it. Something, something, the love of God. How wonderful. The love. Oh, wonderful love. Yes, you can look it up. But we all know, so high, so low, so wide. It's incomprehensible in its makeup. God loves the Son with a breathtakingly almighty, super maximal, intense love of abundance and wonder and a depth that we cannot fathom. And then Jesus says, and I've loved you the same. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. I should just sit down there and we should just stop right there because that is knock your socks off. Hairs on the back of your head. Or on the back of your neck, standing up, goosebumps all over, amazing. He who knows everything about you, who knows you better than you know yourself, who knows all of your sins and your infirmities and your weaknesses, says, I love you like God loves me. He doesn't hold us at arm's length and just extend a bit of grace to us. And that would be, if he did that, that would be marvelous because that would be undeserving. He doesn't just hold us at arm's length. 
he opens his arms wide and he scoops us up in a bear hug of an embrace and he says, as I'm in the bosom of the Father, so you're in the bosom of me. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. He takes us into his very heart. And it means that he loves us without a beginning. The, the scriptures say he's loved us from before the foundation of the world. Tim read it for us from Ephesians 1 this morning. He's loved us without measure. It's, it's bountiful. It's abundant. It's, it's not stingy. It's generous. He loves us without variation or change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So his love towards us is steadfast, and it's relentless, and it's consistent, and it's constant, and it's not based upon how much we love him. It doesn't change by the... You know, it's not determined by how good we've been that day or how bad we've been that day. It's without change. He loves us. He loves us without end. It's never going to end. It's an everlasting love. It's with a love of delight and pleasure. It's personal. There's a, it's unite, it unites us to him. There's harmony. There's closeness. There's intimacy. It's an all-encompassing love. The Son pours out all that he has into us. That's the image of the vine and the branches. All that the Father has, he gives to the Son, which is everything. And everything that the Son has, he shares with us. There's nothing that the Son withholds from us. That's the image of the vine and the branches. So that when God looks at you, he enjoys you. He admires you. He cherishes you. He prizes you. He relishes what he sees. He loves you with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreakable, irrevocable, always and forever love. His love for you is so high you can't get over it and so low you can't get under it and so wide you can't get round it. Oh, wonderful love. Jesus can't love you better than he currently does. Think about that. He can't love you any more than he currently does. He loves us with a breathtakingly almighty, super maximal, infinite, abundant love of a depth that we cannot fathom. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Spurgeon again says this, God's love is so long that your old age can't wear it out, so long that your continual tribulation cannot exhaust it, your successive temptations shall not drain it dry, like eternity itself, it knows no bounds. And what God wants to speak to us this morning, which is said again in Psalm 18 that Katie shared, is he wants us not just to know it with our knowers, he wants, to, he wants us to feel it in our hearts. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. But he's not just words. 
He goes on to show and to display and to demonstrate his love. It was his love that motivated to leave the glories of heaven where he was worshipped and honored and adored as he so rightfully deserved to condescend and come to earth as a man where he was mocked and betrayed and beaten and crucified on a cross to pay the penalties for sins that he had never done himself. And then he was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day. Because this God, the Son, he considered our need of saving from sins more important than his own life and comfort. That's what Paul writes in Philippians 2, verses 5 to 11. He made himself nothing. He took on the very form of a slave and was obedient to God, even to obedience on a cross. Then Paul reminds us in Romans 5, some people will sacrifice their lives for those that they deem worthy. People are prepared to lay down their lives for friends or relatives or for other good people. But God in Christ goes way beyond that in his love towards those in that he loves them who are the most unworthy. Enemies. That Jesus' love is so incredible that he is prepared and willing and joyful for the joy that was set before him, you'll read in Hebrews this week. He endured the cross. He took the punishment for sins for those who tortured him and hated him and rebelled against him and did not care a jot about him. Those who were the most undeserving of his love, he died for them. could say it this way, he gave the most that he could give for those who deserved it the least. And that love on the cross is, is not the end either, is it? Because when you get united to Christ in faith, when you turn from your sins and recognize him as the one who died to save you, when you place your trust in him, he makes you his very child. He makes you a child of God. He makes you a co-heir with Christ so that everything that he has, he shares with us. He's come to dwell within each of us by his Holy Spirit. And he promises us again in Hebrews 13, never to leave us or forsake us. He tells us through Paul in Romans 8 that there is nothing that will separate us from his love. No height, nor depth, nor angels, no principalities, no powers, no demons, no nothing. Nothing you can experience in this life will separate you from his love. And as we looked at in 1 Peter, he's leading us towards a bright tomorrow with him. In a perfect paradise where all sin and sickness and death will be done away with. And we shall see him as he is. And we shall be like him as he is. And we shall be with him forever. As I have loved, uh, sorry, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then Jesus says to, to us, abide in that love. And what should, hopefully is going on in your heart, which is going on in my heart right now, is this, yes! Yes! Don't you want to abide in that kind of love? Don't you want to experience that? As the Father has loved Jesus, so he loves us. Yes, tell me how. I want that every day. I don't want to move past it. I want to experience it every day. A love without beginning, a love without measure, a love without change, a love without end, a love of delight and pleasure, a love that is close and personal and intimate. 
Jesus. The one who died to save me from my sins. Who rose again to give me new life. Who now shares everything with me. Who, who has made me a co-heir with Christ. Who is leading me to a bright tomorrow. Yes, I want to drink deeply of that love. Yes, I want to lap it up. Yes, I want to abide in that. How? Well, here's the surprising thing. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in this love. Just as I kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. Now, you might be sat there and thinking, well, that's not the warm and fuzzy feeling I was hoping for. The goosebumps had disappeared at the very mention of the rather cold and clinical robotic word, obedience. But Jesus tells us here very clearly, we do not abide simply by having nice thoughts about God. We do not simply abide by even having nice feelings about God. We abide when we obey God. That the mighty love of God in Christ towards us is, spoken to, is supposed to awaken our love in response to him. We express it in obedience. And Jesus says, you're not doing anything different to me. He says, listen. I experienced the love of the Father, so great, so amazing, so wonderful. And I abound in that love and I abide in that love as I keep my Father's commands. He's not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done already. Now, let me just be very clear with you. Don't make the easy mistake that could be said of these verses. They could be misunderstood. It could be that you could say, ah, so Jesus is saying, if we obey... He will love us. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not suggesting that our obedience somehow earns God's love. He's not suggesting that he is so miserly that his love needs to be wrenched out of his arms through some kind of moral bribery. No, no, no. We're supposed to think about the context, the vine and the branches. Branches do not bear fruit if they are not joined to the vine. They, they do not bear fruit to join the vine either. They do not bear fruit to stay in the vine. They bear fruit because they are joined to the vine. And the natural overflow of being joined to the vine, the natural overflow of being loved by Jesus in the way that I've just described, is obedience. It's bearing fruit. And if we bear fruit, we'll know that we're loved. So don't make the mistake of thinking, oh, he's talking about obedience now because if I want to be loved, I've got to obey. No, Jesus' love for us always comes first. We can only obey because he's first loved us. Because we've experienced his life-giving love in the gospel. But then as we experience his loving kindness, but then as we experience his goodness, we begin to blossom. As we grow closer to Christ, as our connection to the vine is strengthened, we will become more and more like him. And as we become more and more like him, we will want him more and more. And we will want the desires that he wants more and more. And we will obey in response as we seek to be like him and abide in his love. 
So Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in that love. Or how, Jesus? I just lock myself away and sing God is my girlfriend songs? No. Let my word abide in you. And as my word abides in you, and my spirit abides in you, and my love abides in you, it's going to awaken you to say, I want what God wants more than anything else in my life. I want Him more than anything else. I want to commune with Him. I want to experience His love. I want to know the depths of His love more than I want porn, more than I want alcohol, more than I want new shoes, more than I want exotic holidays, more than I want children that obey. More than I want anything else. God loves us in Christ to a depth that we cannot fathom. But one of the ways we know his love for us is that he gives us his good commands. He gives them to us because he loves us. He's not trying to kill us off or trying to squash our joy. He is trying to tell us how to live in the world that he made. And now because we've experienced his love and because it's awakened our love for him, our response is to obedience to his commands. Abiding in Jesus is both loving obedience and obedient love. And the more that we abide, as I've already said, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we obey him. And the more we obey him, the more we abide. And it's a circle that just carries on. The more that we abide, the more we love. The more we obey, the more we abide, the more we love. The more we love, the more we obey. The more we obey, the more we abide. The more we abide, the more that we obey. The more that we love, and we goes on and on and on. And what happens? The more and more we bear fruit. And God gets glorified. Now, there's a, there's a temptation as well to, to fall into the mistake of kind of imposing a strict order. So do I ab- abide first and then obey? Or do I obey first and then abide? Not really sure how this all works. Well, let me just say this. They go together. They're virtually synonymous and simultaneous. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you need to obey before you can abide. But equally, don't make the opposite error of thinking that you somehow need to tie yourselves up in abiding I just got to really, 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 really feel love for God before I can obey. No, he wants us to abide and obey. It's simultaneous and they're almost synonymous. The reality is our abiding and our obeying go together. And our obeying is not just about keeping a set of rules and regulations. It's about living in accordance with our design. It's living in harmony with the God who made us according to the ways that he made us for the purposes he made us. So if we've got this God who is good and holy and pure and righteous and just and merciful and truthful and honest, all those things that we know about God, well, his commands are exactly the same because his commands are a reflection of his character. So everything he asks us to do is good and righteous and just and holy and trustworthy and pure. And if we love that God, we will want to be like him. Well, how do we become like him? He says, by reflecting him in obedience. Abiding in Christ cannot be separated from personal holiness. Now, 
three groups of people here this morning, I reckon. There might be more, but I'm reckoning three groups of us. First group is the frustrated believers, okay? Frustrated believers. You want more growth in your life and you're frustrated that you're not seeing it right now. John 15 would say to you, it would, Jesus would come and remind us this morning that we will only bear fruit if we are connected to the vine. Without him, he says, verse 5, we can do nothing. So please, if you are frustrated, do not try and manufacture religious works. Get connected, strengthen your connection to the vine, and pour your life into abiding in Christ and having his word abide in you. And as you are connected to the vine, you will bear fruit. That's a promise. Pray. Ask God. Do the things that we talked about last week. Read his word. Feed on it. Sing it. Speak it out. And you will find that your frustrations will begin little by little to melt away. Because God is faithful to his word. And he says, if my word abides in you, you will bear fruit. The thing is, we are frustrated because we want to short circuit it so often. We want to speed it along. We want to pop our lives in the microwave of God's uh, you know, power and have him zap us and zing us and bing, woo. Okay, we're hot. We're good. We're good to go. And it doesn't work like that. We need to do the hard work. And I say it's hard work because it's, it just requires discipline. It requires faithfulness. It requires work. But let me encourage you, it is worth it. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Abide in my love. How has he loved us? Don't we want more of that love? Second group, lazy believers. Lazy believers. We hear sermons like this and we go, yeah, that sounds great. And then we go home and our Bibles stay on our shelves. And we just go off into the afternoon, dog walk, football, getting ready for school, preparing for work, whatever it might be. And we forget. We think, oh, I'll be okay because God's gracious and he is. And yet here in John 15, he reminds us that if we are serious about remaining in the love of Jesus and experiencing the abundant life that he promises, you've got to get serious about obeying his commands. Listen to the words of Solomon in Proverbs 24, where he says this, I pass by the field of a sluggard, a lazy believer, by the vineyard, of a man lacking sense, and behold, it was overgrown with thorns. The ground was covered with nettles, and its stone wall was broken down. Then I saw and I considered it. I looked and I received instruction. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want 
like an armed man. If we want to see fruit, we can't be lazy believers. Paul writes in Galatians that God is not mocked. What we sow, we will reap. If we reap, if we want to reap a harvest of holiness, we've got to sow in the field of holiness, people. Let's not be like the sluggard. Let's abide in the love of Jesus by obeying his commands. And then there's a third group of people this morning, and maybe that's you this morning, and that is those who have no idea really what I'm talking about because you walked in this morning and you're not a believer. You're not a Christian. And the simple reminder from John 15 is this. You can be. You can get connected to Jesus this morning, and he can transform your life. And you can experience the love that he has loved his people with. You can get in on that. You've just got to turn from your sins. Say, Jesus, I want to follow you and trust you as Lord and Savior of my life. And if you do that, you can experience the joy of Jesus' love this morning in your heart. And if that's you, come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to do that. But frustrated believer, lazy believer, not a believer, whatever your diagnosis, the medicine is the same. Abide in the love of Jesus. Now, how do we obey? And what are we to obey? Because that's the final question I just want to tackle. If Jesus says, keep my commandments... And therefore, and then you'll abide in my love, just as I kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Don't you want to know what commandments you've got to keep? I do. Well, I think it's all of them. I think it's all of them. Jesus always did everything that pleased the Father. John 8, verse 29. So it's all of them. Everything he said to us. In his word, he wants us to Obey. He's interested in both our actions and our attitudes. He wants our feet, our hands, our hearts, our minds, everything about us. He wants us to obey. Full stop. So nobody can water this down to just, well, is it, you know, some, you know, maybe it's not the Levitical stuff. Maybe it's not the command, you know. Um. No, he wants us to obey all that he's commanded us. Walking with Jesus Enjoying communion with Jesus, abiding in Jesus involves walking as Jesus walked, keeping his commandments, just as Jesus always obeyed the Father. But in verse 12, Jesus summarizes for us to not leave us hanging. In verse 12, he says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Here is the commandment. You want to abide in the love of Jesus? Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his This is just a restating of the new command that Jesus gave in John 13, where Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, 
Love one another. For by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now here he just says, if you want to abide in my love, you've got to obey my commands. How do we obey his commands? And what commandments are we to obey? Love one another as I have loved you. So, I'm not going to go back through it because we don't have time. But how has God loved us in Christ? Or how has Christ loved us? He's loved us as the Father has loved the Son. And now we're to love one another as the Son has loved us. So all those things I said about how God loves Jesus... And all those things that I said about how Jesus loves us, now we've got to go and do them to one another. And as we do that, we'll abide together in Christ. Jesus here is not after perfect obedience. Don't forget verse 3 where he says, the fruit-bearing branches, they still need pruning. That'll be the same right until the day we see Jesus and he instantaneously changes us to be like him. But it is a growing, genuine obedience and increasing likeness to Jesus. We are to love each other as he has loved us. And how has he loved us? He's loved us like the Father has loved the Son. Love one another. The good news as well is this, that there is an advocate to whom we can run when we fail. John will say in another place, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us all of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So you want to abide in the love of God? Love one another. How do we love one another? Just as the Son has loved us. How does the Son love us? Like the Father loves the Son. And then Jesus hasn't even finished then. You know, the danger of, of putting abide and obey in the same sentence is that you can think, well, that's humorless, that's severe, that's a bit stark, can even evoke a kind of a fearful, guilt-driven compliance. Okay, so I've just got to obey now. thought this was Grace Church. No, it's Obey Church. Let's change the name. It's not con everybody. It's Obey Church. Come on, it's Obedience Church. No, Jesus here says this in verse 11. These things I have spoken to you. What things? All the things I've just been saying since the beginning of chapter 15. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. You know, so often we can think obedience is something we do instead of enjoying Jesus. And Jesus here says, uh-uh, obedience is the way that you enjoy Jesus. Following Jesus is not an alternative to joy. It's not like there's two paths. There's the path of joy and there's the path of Jesus and never the two shall meet. No, joy is the secret to enjoying uh, sorry, obedience is the secret to enjoying Jesus. Obedience produces joy. The deepest joy and satisfaction comes in obeying and abiding, abiding and obeying. And in that, you will experience the most wonderful love possible. 
You know, it is astonishing that sinners like us can experience the love of God. It is even more amazing that we experience the love of God because God the Father sent the Son in whom there was no sin to be sin for us so that we can exchange our sin and receive his righteousness and life and become the children of God. And it's even more amazing that little by little, as we look upon Christ, he's transforming us from one degree of glory to another. That's an amazing blessing. We can know God. We can commune with God. We can abide with God. We can know the love of God. That is joy. So back to our original opening illustration. If life is precious and the most important possession that we have, don't waste it. Don't squander it and spend it on that which does not satisfy. Instead, invest it and abide in Jesus. Let's pray.